open up to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. We are going to be going through the whole chapter today. And I want you to think for a moment. What do you know about John the Baptist? What do you know about John the Baptist? Anybody? Let's, let's, we'll do this like a Sunday school class. You guys get to talk. You got to raise your hand. What? Just kidding. What? He ate bugs. He ate bugs. That's right. Specific bugs. Locusts. He ate locusts. Mmm, locusts. He dressed funny. What, what was funny about the way he dressed? Lots of plaid. What was it? Animal fur. Animal fur. What kind of animals? Let's get sp- camel. Camel hair. He wore shirts or tunics made out of camel hair. Now, I'm, I'm not big into fashion. I know it's a surprise, but I'm not. Um, but I imagine that's pretty itchy. Just going out on a limb here. Doesn't seem the most comfortable thing. Okay, so he ate bugs. He wore animal fur. What else? Jesus' cousin. Absolutely. Last of, ooh, last of the Old Testament prophets. Good, that actually comes up in the sermon. He was beheaded. That's true. Called to prepare the way. In fact, that was his mission in life to prepare the way for the Messiah. Let me go through a couple things here. His birth was, what was it? Did I take yours? He did baptize Jesus. That was a big deal. So what about his birth? What was miraculous about his birth? His parents were old. Very old. I mean, not just like, oh, wow, they're kind of old to be parents. I mean, they're way too old to be parents. It was physically impossible for them to be parents. Now, understand what that means. Not only is that cool for John the Baptist, and it's kind of a neat thing that God blessed his parents, but there's a long history in Scripture of God moving in powerful ways, using people that should not, could not have children, to have a child that was promised, and God promised to use that child in special ways. So this is not just like, oh, that's really good for Zechariah and Elizabeth that they had a baby. This is God is doing something big. So right from the beginning, God is doing something big with John the Baptist. If you remember all the way back, who's the father of the the Jewish nation? We sing about him in children's church, right? Father... Abraham. Who was Abraham's son? Isaac. Isaac is the child of the promise. And Sarah was really old when Isaac was born. So was Abraham. So we have, at the very beginning of Jewish history, we have this this message of God blessing his people in miraculous ways so that people that should not have had a child were able to have a child. Everything that John did, his mission in life, we, we talked about eating locusts, Talk about wearing the camel hair. He also lived out in the wilderness. He ate wild honey. He was kind of like, if you saw him from a distance, you would have walked the other way. He was a scary looking dude, I imagine. Little disheveled, little out there. He, people saw him and said, there's something different about that guy. He probably was kind of smelly. I mean, really, if you think about all of it. But why? Why did he live away from his family? Why did he eat these disgusting things? Why did he suffer in this way? Because I imagine it wasn't a comfortable way to live. It's because of the message, and I don't remember who said it, but he was called to prepare the way for the Messiah. That was why he was born. It was his mission in life to prepare the people for Jesus who was to come. Now imagine you're John. Think of everything you've given up. Think of everything you've been through. And then one day, this guy comes along. And you know, 
That's the Messiah. Now, he was related to Jesus. How much they came into a contact with each other growing up, we don't really know. They kind of lived far apart. Don't really know. But somehow, supernaturally, John knew, and he points to Jesus and says, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And a bunch of his disciples leave him. John's followers. He was a teacher, a rabbi. They leave him. They follow Jesus. John has no problem with that. Imagine you've lived your whole life in the struggle. You've lost part of your ministry to send them after somebody else. So you have believed, I've prepared the way for this. And you're like, this is it. It's all come down to this. And then what happens? Nothing. Nothing really happens. I mean, I imagine he hears stories about Jesus beginning to preach and starting his public ministry, and John's thinking, this is it. And then nothing. He hears about a miracle, this is it. And then nothing. You see, preparing the way for the Messiah, in their mind meant this guy from the Lord was going to come and set everything right. And everything right in their mind's uh, understanding of that was these Romans that are oppressing us, these are these Romans that are making everything difficult, they're going to do something about that. This oppressive Jewish religious system, they're going to do something about that. And that wasn't happening. Now, by the time of our passage here, John is in prison. And probably had been in prison for as much as a year. Now again, put that in perspective. You've given your whole life, given up comfort, given up family, serving the Lord, preparing the way for the Messiah, thinking when the Messiah comes, everything's going to be made right. The Messiah has come. You knew he came. Everything's going to be made right. And everything is not made right whatsoever. In fact, for John the Baptist, it was worse. He's thrown into prison and he's facing his death. And in our passage today, John the Baptist sends messengers to Jesus with a simple, heartfelt, difficult question that I think we can all resonate with. And he says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 3, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? As I read that, I think behind that question is an understanding or, or a frustration with, with John saying, Jesus, was it all for nothing? Is this it? I think we can identify with this feeling because Jesus is so often not what we expect. He doesn't do what we expect him to do when we expect him to do it. We live in a world that is still a mess. And I don't know about you, but I've had thoughts every once in a while, Jesus, are, are you really the one? Or should we expect someone else? Is this it? Let's look at John chapter 11 and see how Jesus responds to these doubts. Because it is beautiful, encouraging, but also very challenging, as Jesus tends to do. And what we see right away with John's question, and I really think Matthew uses John to speak on behalf of everybody, that Jesus was very unexpected. He is not who they expected him to be. Look at verses 1 through 3. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. 
When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? He's saying, I have these expectations, Jesus, and and what I'm experiencing and what I'm seeing is not matching up with my expectations and I don't know what to do. And I love that John sends people to Jesus. Right? So often we're just like, I'm out of here. Forget following Jesus. He's not doing what I want, so I just don't believe him anymore. No, John sends people to Jesus and asks the question. And look at what Jesus says, verses 4 through 6. Jesus replied, go back, report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. He sends back a message to John saying, John, look at the evidence. See, John knows the Old Testament. He knows Scripture. And everything that Jesus is pointing out was prophesied in the Old Testament that the Messiah would do these things. So he says, John, go back to what you know. You know these things are signs of the coming Messiah. Yes, things aren't going exactly the way you want, but you know these are evidences of the coming Messiah. The other thing that is sort of underneath what Jesus says is that all these things he's saying are quotes from the Old Testament. And in each of the passages that they come from, there is also a message of judgment. And John would catch this. And Jesus is saying, John, I I know you want everything fixed. I know you want it all set right. It's going to come. Hold on. Hold on to the truth. Hold on to the promise. Don't let go of it. And John's messengers then leave. And look at what Jesus says about John after they leave. You would almost expect, oh, it's too bad he doesn't have faith, or you should have more faith than John the Baptist. But I love what Jesus does here. He actually defends John and speaks highly of him. Look at verses 7 and 8. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. See, John was kind of a sensation at this point, a public sensation. Lots of people had gone out into the wilderness to see him and hear him preach. This crazy guy that wears crazy clothes and eats crazy things, he's out in the wilderness. And they would travel long distances to hear John preach. And John didn't hold back. I mean, he talked about the coming kingdom. He talked about repenting. He didn't sugarcoat anything. And Jesus is challenging them, saying, why? Why did you go out to listen to John? Was it because John's a pushover, just a reed swayed in the wind? No, you wouldn't have gone out for that. Was it because he was dressed in nice clothes? Says, no, you wouldn't have gone out for that. Verse 9, then what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Again, Jesus says, look at the sign. It says, John was pointing to me. You went out to listen to him, and he was pointing to me. Verse 11, then, he continues to defend John the Baptist and speak highly of him. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and the violent people have been raiding it. Jesus doesn't put John the Baptist down for his struggles, for his questions. And I think that's helpful for us. It's okay to have questions. But I would encourage you, challenge you, when you have those questions, take them to Jesus. Don't say, well, this isn't working for me. I'm going to go somewhere else. Take them to Jesus. But Jesus makes an interesting point here as he's defending John. And he says, John the Baptist has been so great, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Why? Because John knew everything up to the point of Jesus. Those who accept Jesus as their Savior know so much more. So as great as John the Baptist was as a prophet, Jesus is saying, my followers, those who have received me as their Savior, you have a greater place in the kingdom of heaven than even John the Baptist at this point. That's amazing. John the Baptist was really the culmination of all the Old Testament prophecy leading up to just before Jesus. He says, but anyone who receives Jesus is even greater in the kingdom of heaven. But that doesn't mean everything's easy. Jesus says the kingdom has been subject to violence and violent people have been raiding it. There's many different translations of this. Scholars love to debate this passage and exactly what it's saying. But at the highest level, what it's saying is things are not easy for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world doesn't just go, oh, this is exactly what we've been waiting for. This is what I long for. I love it. No, the world goes, ah, that's not what I want. That's not what I expected. You need to change the wording on that a little bit, and then I'll accept it. Worse, they don't just argue with us. Sometimes they even attack. Sometimes, like John the Baptist, people go to jail. Somebody mentioned it. Eventually, John the Baptist would have his head removed. Why? For the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Trusting in Jesus is not easy. And anybody who tells you different is trying to sell you something. Don't trust it. Following Jesus is hard. In fact, the next two chapters of Matthew, which Matthew's using this as an introduction, the next few chapters of Matthew are going to show increasing opposition to Jesus Christ. Things will get worse. But look at what Jesus says in verse 13. For all the prophets in the law, the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept that he is the Elijah who was to come, whoever has ears, let him hear. Jesus says it's all led up to this moment, this point. And these people are standing there going, yeah, I knew how the Messiah was going to come. I have all these expectations. I'm not seeing it. And Jesus says, no, don't miss it. It's all about him. And it's interesting because now he turns from the expectations of John the Baptist and talking about John the Baptist to confronting the people's expectations. And I think this passage is absolutely fascinating. Look at verse 16. Jesus, as a masterful teacher, uses an illustration. He says, to what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Now, I got to be honest, I've read this lots of times throughout my life. And I always thought that, that God was saying to the people, 
hey, I did this for you and you didn't respond. So I did something else for you and you didn't respond to that either. And as I really poured over this, I went, wait a minute, who are the children here? To what can I compare this generation? They are like children. Now, maybe you didn't struggle with this. Maybe you're going, Dave, I have no idea what you're talking about. But understand the importance of this. He's comparing that present generation, the people that's listening to him, and I think we can still apply this today. He's saying, you guys are like like kids playing a game in the marketplace. This was kind of a game they would play. They would sit there and they would play a dancing tune and see who danced. In other times, not so much a game, but at funerals, they would play a very sad song and see who would mourn because that was their custom at funerals. And he's saying, you're like those kids, expecting that if you do something, that something will change. Well, what's the something they expected to change? God. They expected, if they did something, that God would play their game. That's the problem with expectations. We think that God has to do what we want. Look at what he says, verse 18. He explains it. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by your actions or by your deeds. They wanted somebody that was a prophet, powerful, bold, and so John comes, and they wouldn't accept him because they didn't like what he said. They wanted somebody who was like them. And so Jesus comes and they wouldn't accept him because he wasn't what they wanted. The power of expectations is dangerous. The picture here is that these people, including us, we want God to meet our expectations and to dance to our tune. And when he doesn't, we reject him. And yet Jesus says the wisdom of God is proved right by her deeds. It takes time. It takes a long perspective. God knows what he's doing. He's been at it for a very long time. Expectations are powerful things. But we need to look at what we expect and question it and say, is this from the Lord or is this from me or is this from somebody else? What are our expectations of the Lord? Because when things don't go the way we expect, we often have questions. Those questions can turn into doubts. Those doubts can turn into struggling in our faith. That's the danger of unfulfilled expectations. To doubt is okay. It's okay. I see that throughout Scripture. It is okay to have doubts. Jesus was fine with people who doubted him and came to him with questions. He was fine with that. But here's where there becomes a big problem. Not expecting who Jesus is or feeling that Jesus is not who you expect can lead to not accepting who Jesus is. That's when it becomes a problem. Jesus performed miracles. We've talked about this throughout this series. Wherever he went, he would perform miracles as confirmation that he was who he says he was and as proof that his message was from the Lord. We see this throughout Scripture. Whenever God was doing something new, God would prove that it was him through miracles. And so Jesus did miracles wherever he went. 
And in that day, people love the miracles. We see pictures of people following Jesus, just waiting. Are you going to give me more bread to eat? Are you going to heal my friend? And sometimes he would even challenge them. Why are you following me? Are you just hoping for another miracle? Or are you really trusting in me? You see, in Jesus' day, as powerful as the miracles were, they were not enough. And so often I hear Christians today just say, we just need more miracles. If people would see more miracles, they would believe in Jesus. That is not true. And Jesus calls out some towns here in verses 20 through 24. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Be careful thinking all we need is more miracles. Because they had more miracles and they still did not believe in Jesus. Because they didn't understand that the miracles were not to point to the miracles, the miracles were to point to Jesus. They missed that. These Jewish people would have grown up Kind of like we have our Sunday school stories. They would have had their Old Testament stories. They would have heard about Tyre and Sidon and Sodom and Gomorrah. These cautionary tales of what happens when you reject the Lord God Almighty and the judgment that came on these towns. Don't be like them. And now Jesus uses them and says, you're exactly like them. In fact, you're worse because you know more than they did. Jesus doesn't pull his punches here. And he says they didn't accept him. They didn't repent. And here's the important thing. Our expectations about Jesus can change our acceptance of Jesus. We have to be very careful because we tend to craft our own picture of who Jesus has to be. And then when he doesn't doesn't fulfill that or meet our expectations, we don't want to accept who he is. And these people struggled and suffered with the same thing, even though they saw miracles that they could not explain. They still would not accept who he was. So how do we avoid this? How do we set our expectations appropriately? So that we're not the person playing the the music and expecting God to dance, but we're saying, God, teach me your melody. Show me where you're going and let me follow you. We must allow Christ to be the one who sets our expectations. Look at verses 25 to 26. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. If we want to have appropriate Christ-centered expectations, we need to start with humility. Because the smartest people of Jesus' day that thought they had it all figured out would not accept who he was. Jesus says, 
that God actually intentionally hid these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. And it's not just that the people couldn't figure it out and the children were much smarter, like they were just blessed with abundance of imagination and so they received Jesus. No, it was the Lord sovereignly making sure this was how this worked. The kids tended to get it. And I think it's kind of a metaphor, not just the children, but people that were willing to come to God and go, hmm, that's not what I expected, but that's really cool. That's how kids respond to things. Not always. Those of you that are parents, you're like, wait a minute. (laughs) That's not entirely true. I get it. I got four kids of my own. Not entirely true. But kids are, are able to expect or accept things that are different than what they expected in general because their expectations aren't set in stone. Children are willing to learn new things. Their minds are still forming around what they see and hear. And I think Jesus is calling us to be like that. He's saying, let what I do and what I say shape what you think and what you feel, not the other way around. Because a relationship with God is not ultimately about figuring out who God is. It's not sitting in judgment and saying, well, God says this and he did this and Yeah, I think that's right. I approve that. I I approve what you're doing, God, as if God needs us to sit on his jury and say that what he's doing is right. The relationship with God through Jesus Christ is about accepting who God is. It's about witnessing who Jesus is and what he did and accepting that, not judging him, saying, yes, that's my Savior. And following We need to understand that our expectations are often wrong and must be challenged by who Jesus truly is. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. What a bold statement Jesus makes right there. He points to this relationship and the mystery of the Trinity between God the Father and God the Son who know each other perfectly. And he's saying, you guys can never know each of us the way we know each other. And it's almost like this click. Remember in school where there's like the cool kids? And you, maybe you were one of the cool kids. I was not. But, but you're kind of on the outside going, Man, I, I want to be in there. Now, those of you that were part of the cool kids in school, you probably hopefully recognize like it's not as good as the outsiders think it is like all the clicks are kind of messed up inside outside it doesn't matter we're all screwed up people but here's this click of the trinity god the father jesus the son except there's a major difference isn't there because jesus says you can't know me the way the father knows me and and you can't know the father the way i know him except except those that i choose to reveal him to See, Jesus, in this this perfect, wonderful relationship between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus is saying, I want you to know this. And you, and come on, you, and you, and you. And you need to listen to me because I'm going to explain it. It's going to be hard to understand. Man, I don't understand everything about the Trinity. I don't know that I'll ever, this side of heaven or the other side of heaven, I'm not sure I'll ever comprehend the depths of the Trinity. And yet Jesus says, I want you to know my Father. But see, we come and go, well, but Jesus, I have a question about this because this isn't really, wait a minute, I'm going to show you something. Yeah, but Jesus, I'm kind of busy. 
imagine how much we might miss out on at times because we want Jesus to answer our questions instead of we're listening to what he's saying and what he's showing us. We need to understand God on God's terms, not ours. We need to listen to Jesus on Jesus' terms, not ours. So what does that look like? How do we respond? What Jesus says next seems so out of place with what he's talking about. He's talking about expectations, rejecting him. And then he says this, this beautiful passage, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The passage starts with a question, a question of doubt from John the Baptist. Jesus, is it really you? Can I really trust you? And Jesus kind of unpacks that question and talks about it, talks about revelation, how we understand who God is. But at the end, he comes back to, and I think in many ways is still answering the question of John. Here's the question. You have doubts? Come with me. Follow me. See who I am. So many times I meet people, they say, well, I, I just, I don't accept this about Jesus. Okay, follow him. See what he does with that. Trust him that he has answers along the way. He may or may not give you those answers, but follow him. John was struggling because things were not going as he expected. And Jesus says, let's just keep going together. And it's so beautiful the way he describes this. All you who are weary and burdened. Man, when Jesus is not fulfilling your expectations and things aren't going the way you think they should and the world seems completely out of control, I'm sure none of us can, can really you know, resonate with that. But Jesus says, come to me. I will give you rest. There's chaos right now for John. He's in prison. He's about to be beheaded. There's chaos in their world. There's still chaos today, but Jesus says it's coming. This is where the path that Jesus is on goes to. There will be rest. Keep following. Take my yoke upon you. That's how the rabbis would describe their teaching, or that's how the teaching of a rabbi, kind of their system of teaching was called their yoke. So he's saying, come on, trust me. Keep learning, keep listening. Take my yoke and put it on you. I get that you're not going to understand everything about it. But it was not this yoke of oppression. It was not the teaching of the Jewish people saying, I know the Bible says this, but you also have to do these 1,000 things that I'm telling you, and then you'll be righteous in my eyes. Jesus says, no. In that sense, his yoke is easy. Jesus' statement is the ultimate answer to John the Baptist and to each one of us when we struggle. Keep trusting him. He has a plan. He has a purpose. There is true, real, miraculous rest available. God's plans have never failed and they never will. Keep on following. But we have to come to Jesus and allow him to change, confront, and shape our expectations rather than allowing our expectations to change or confront who Jesus is. Let Jesus set your expectations. Our expectations can cloud our acceptance of Jesus. 
And in that moment, you're going to have doubts. God, what are you really doing? Can, can we just stop? Can we hit the pause button? Can you just explain all this to me? Jesus, I, I just need, before I go another step, if you could tell me what you're doing. And Jesus says, come on, follow me. It's okay to struggle with doubts. It's really good to bring them to Jesus. But when Jesus says, let's keep going, don't miss out on that's where your doubts are going to be answered. Keep on following. Keep on trusting. Let Christ realign your expectations. Because who he is and the power of the gospel of his death and resurrection overcomes all of our doubts and all of our struggles. And one day, those things that we're saying, why aren't you doing this? One day we'll look back and go, oh, you did fix that. Now I get it. Don't miss that moment because you refuse to keep trusting who he is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, listening to, reading about, studying who Jesus is in the Gospel of Matthew and the other Gospels is so challenging. We, we want a Jesus that we can shape and mold and conform to our expectations, to our interests, to our comfort. And yet we are confronted by the true Jesus, your Son, who challenges us who calls us into hard things and hard places as we follow Him, who calls us to trust in difficult things, truths that we struggle to comprehend, and yet He calls us to keep on following. And Father, maybe there's someone here today, maybe all of us in some way, are like John the Baptist saying, Jesus, i got a question. I'm struggling. And I pray that we would hear the answer. Look at the evidence. Look at the truth of who you are that you reveal in your word. And then ultimately keep on looking at Jesus Christ and keep on trusting him and following him. And Jesus, I thank you that your way is best. Forgive us when we follow our own expectations and our own ways or when we allow our expectations to get in the way of following you. Thank you for the loving way you deal with struggling people. And so may we allow you to shape our expectations that we might give you all the glory. In your name we pray, amen.